poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Philosophical Friday on Chasing Poker Greatness with your hosts, Brad Wilson and Duncan Palamortis. Welcome, 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 my friend, to another episode of the Chasing Poker Greatness podcast. Today is Friday, which is the most philosophical of all the days of the week. And I'm joined by my co-host for Philosophical Friday, Duncan. Duncan, what's up, sir? Hello, hello, hello. How is everything going? Everything's going quite well. Um, today, we're we're talking about losing, right? That's what you've you've cooked up for both myself and the listener um, this week. And you had a a retraction or an adjustment that you wanted to make from was it last week's show? Uh, right. Yeah. No. I mean, that, 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 that's correct. I mean, at some point, I, I mentioned a, a quote uh, which was uh, uh, it was technically a half quote and it was misquoted, um, meaning I I basically uh, used the the wrong person, so I confused. Uh, Schrodinger with Schopenhauer, they're, they're quite different people. You know, one is a, a, a physicist and the other one is uh, uh, is, a, is a, a philosopher, but they're both, you know, one of them is Austrian and the other is German. So the names sound very similar to me. But anyway, so the, 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 the quote was from Arthur Schopenhauer and I, and I have it here. So I want to I give it correctly and I want to credit it to the right person. And basically he said something along the lines of all truth passes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Second, it is violently opposed. And finally, it is accepted as self-evident, right? So that was the, the quote about what's obvious. So obvious is uh, not necessarily so, you know, uh, sometimes they say that the common sense is not that common, you know, things like that. So obvious is not, uh, the, the obvious is not necessarily so, but, and at the same time, it may take a considerable amount of effort to get there. So it's highly relative and it can be highly, highly difficult. But anyway, I just wanted to, to get this out of the way. Expect uh, a lot of inconsistencies and a lot of... Uh, um, well, those, like those, I, those two guys can rest easy now. You have, you have <laughs> reconciled it. Um, your butchery is now... Beautiful. Uh, it's, it's undone. Uh, so now everybody can, can sleep easy at night. Right. So sometimes I explain to my students what statistics is, right? I mean, we sacrifice accuracy for an answer. And that's important because if we were trying to be 100% accurate in everything we're saying, we would not utter a single word. So it's it's okay sometimes. So we have to forgive ourselves. I'm saying that first and foremost to myself. <laughs> All right. So let, the, the listener is down for some more inaccuracies this week. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about what, what we can get wrong. Um, mm -hmm. So... On losing in poker specifically, right? That's today's topic of conversation. And I'll, I'll let you frame the topic for the listener and then we can dive in. Yeah, I mean, we're eternal optimists, right? Like, so when I talk about something very optimistic, like losing, you know, things like, oh, okay, all, all jokes aside, I think it has to do with the fact that, uh, you know, understanding worst case scenarios sometimes can be a very calming effect, right? Because if we know how to, to handle the worst part of the game, that can actually be something very positive 
for for our game. But anyway, that's the the whole point of the the conversation. We're not trying to be uh, pessimistic for no reason. But anyway, so so losing. Uh, would you say that losing is 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 inevitable when it comes to poker, or do you think it's avoidable in in some sense? This is editorial. I, I think question. we skipped a skipped a step actually to really. Uh, I you know when, when you mentioned the topic of losing, I, I thought of like you know there's like a different ways to lose in mm-hmm. poker, many different ways. Um, one is like more. Uh, I guess there's like macro and then like capital M A C R O. The macro is like you know you would probably think of it in like a session based time frame, um, and then you know you could have like a month. How are you doing this month? How are you mm-hmm. doing this year? How are you doing lifetime? I think all all of those are like long time frames, and then also I think that there's very micro in each individual hand that you play, right? Um, how are we determining losing? Is it whether or not we win or lose the pot? Is it whether or not you made a good decision in the hand uh, that you played? Is it whether or not you played one specific street um, to the best of your ability, right? Chose one specific bet size, right? There's, there's many different components. Even in the micro, you can get even more micro nailing down in, in, into each individual decision that's made at the poker table. So yeah, I think that's the first thing to that I I would just like to clarify is like, you know, what is losing? How do we how are we describing it and defining it? Beautiful. So, so we have you mentioned what I would call horizontal um dissection, right? So essentially what you're doing here, you're doing a horizontal dissection to different types of levels uh, of losing within a specific domain and that is the domain of monetary loss, right? Uh, at the same time we can do some sort of like um uh, I, I, I said I said horizontal. I actually meant vertical. I'm even doing that with my hand. Like I said, inaccuracies. <laughs> so so that, that is essentially the vertical decomposition. There is actually a horizontal decomposition where we can actually go in different uh, in different aspects. For example, we can talk about the monetary loss, but at the same time, we can talk about some sort of like a social loss, or some people even going to say if you want to get spiritual about it, the loss of your soul, <laughs> depending on how willing. You, you are to go forward to and to emotional, win, right? right? Like, and emotional yeah, loss, yeah, the exactly. Emotional as well, exactly. Emotional loss, physical loss, monetary loss—all of those things. And all of these things are actually, I would argue, quite relevant, right? Because uh, poker is a very taxing game, both physically and mentally, and uh, it can also be very taxing to personal relationships. It can also be taxing to the relationships with people at the poker table, and of course, it depends. How much people care about those things and we can talk a little bit about that so i guess we can differentiate between two types of dissections the horizontal um dissection and the vertical dissection the horizontal dissection again being the different types of losses we can have as they relate to poker and the vertical dissection will be the different levels at which we can have uh, losses and you described it perfect perfectly right we can go at the really 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 micro level you know the the hand we play or even a street we play or even you know a specific bet that we're trying to dissect like really 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 zoom in or we can zoom out a little bit and then we can say, you know, how we're we doing poker-wise lifetime this month, this year, what have you. Correct, correct. And I, I really like the way that you frame that um, because there there are, with everything in life, right? Like we 
we're going to talk about this at some point, but like risk, there, there's risk and a cost to everything um, that we do in playing poker. There's a cost, right? There's opportunity costs, there's relationship costs. Um, all of these things, like they, they just happen somewhat naturally and maybe we don't think about them all the time, but they, they are nonetheless um, relevant and there. So I guess to answer that first question is losing inevitable. I, I think the podcast listener can probably guess what I'm about to say. Losing's not inevitable. No. <laughs> yes, of course. You heard it here first. Breaking news. <laughs> Breaking news. Yes, of course. Losing um, is going to happen, and and losing is inevitable. So that first question, I, I think I can pretty much answer pretty conclusively that there is some form of loss here. And my assumption that when we we were discussing uh, what we were going to talk about today, that the portion of losing that you know was most relevant were the individual sessions monetarily based. Right. That's correct. And the only thing I would add is that not only losing is inevitable, but I would also say it is okay. It is, it is, it is a fact of life. And and what's interesting about poker uh, is that uh, all of these different domains that we described earlier, both horizontal and vertical, they're very similar to one another. They involve some sort of like taking a risk, uh, like you said, Brad, and then having a potential reward and a potential loss. Uh, this is not necessarily the case in many other aspects of life. Like, for example, for, for an accountant, Yes, there's obviously risks, like for example, if somebody cuts corners, that's a risk that they're taking, and then there's a potential risk and reward. So there are some risks and rewards at the meta level, but at what they're doing, um, you know, their jobs day in and day out, the hourly rate of the accountant is not so much, they're not taking risks for a living. So there is a difference between what they actually do and the meta that it goes around their job, which is again, like the relationship with the co-workers and everything else with poker, Everything is sort of like a risk reward, including our actual jobs. <laughs> so that's that. That's what I think is 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 very interesting. Which which is why I, I have this strong feeling that uh, poker can um, teach us huge lessons about life in general, and also we can draw lessons from life itself and apply them to poker. Yeah, I I agree. Um, so what's What's the first point here that we're going to dive into? Sure. Like, I guess we, we've passed the first point. We're three or four. The next point. I the guess. next point. Exactly. Yeah. So uh, one, of the, one of the points is a lot of people, you know, and, and a lot of uh, newer players and maybe even more experienced players as well. They're not 100% uh, sure on that. How often should professionals expect to lose realistically? And then we can maybe break that down both for, for cash games and, and for tournaments so that people can get a, an idea of what, um, and, and let's, we can talk again at different levels, but let's start with a simple question. Like how many sessions on average uh, does a winning cash game player expect uh, to lose? And, and this of course is, is a heuristic. I mean, I'm sure you have data. I know I have a lot of data myself. I see you're smiling there. Well, Go for it, it, Brad. It's like the classic, you know, it depends, right? Mm -hmm. On, on very specific variables, you know, like what is your win rate? Right. Um, what is your skill level relative to your competitor's skill level? Uh, so like, that's really the first place because I mean, if you're like torching, right. If you're, um, have a giant loss rate, well, you're going to lose quite often if you're crushing. 
Well, you're still going to lose quite often. I mean, let's right. be real here. I don't really have any hard numbers um, okay. to say for this situation, but I would say probably 40% of the time, um, right. somewhere in the range of, I don't know, 30, right. uh, probably like 35 to 49% of the time, some, something around there would be my guess. Exactly. And, and, and that would depend again, how much, how much of a winning player uh, that person is. And, and yeah, I mean, I've, I've done some, uh, some research on the topic and, and, and also, you know, like from personal experience and, uh, um, from my friends, uh, and, and huge d- uh, databases as well. And I would say roughly uh, the rule that I'm giving is like something like two to one, you know, for every two winning sessions, one losing session. So like uh, around the 35% mark, 40% mark, again, depending on the situation, depending on like, we're not going to split hairs here. You're just like a, a quick heuristic. But that, this is a very, very common situation, right? I mean, for yeah. every every three sessions, like one loss, like give or take, and uh, something like that for cash games, for winning, uh, consistent winning players, depending on their win rate. Right. And like, I think that for the listener, it's important to note that like, even if like you're losing 40% of the time, there's nothing that says that you can't lose 10 times in a row. Like it's within the realm of possibility here when when we're talking about these, these types of runs, um, which can feel quite bad. I, I I don't know. I I mean, it's, this this is philosophical Friday, so I'm allowed to do whatever I want. Right. It's kind of, kind of, uh, a sandbox. Um, Go for it, Brad. Can I, can I just reject the premise yeah. of losing in general? Yeah. Because like yeah. this is something that like I, I've thought a lot about. I've thought a lot about loss, and um, you know we have some questions about like how do we handle losing, you know, mm-hmm. all of these sorts of things. And to to tell an anecdotal story here, um, mm-hmm. there's a crusher in the group who a while back said, wow, I'm on a big downswing. Uh, I'm stuck 15 buy-ins in since the start of the month, right? It's two weeks into the month. However, on you know the last three months combined, yeah. they're winning like 80 buy-ins, right? Oops, yeah. So mm-hmm. is this a downswing, right? And, and like, so how do we say that this is like a loss, right? Because it, 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 it is in a loss. It depends on how far you zoom out and kind of look at your graph, right? If you zoom in, you can see the downs, but if you zoom out as a professional, the graph is typically going up, right? And so the reality is like, there's many ways to lose. And the, and so I just don't think that like focusing on things that are beyond your control are ultra important. So like, you're going to misplay a hand. You can have a winning session and feel like you lost, because you mess a hand up. Trust me, I, I promise that this can be the case. Um, so the reality is like, I try to approach any sort of loss like that these days in a more evolved state than I was um, when I was 20 years old through a, a long time. I don't know exactly when the switch happened, but like, I try to look at everything with curiosity. Um, whenever I make a mistake, like, I wonder why I made that mistake. That's interesting. Like, I I don't know if this is like a good decision here, but I'm going to make it and kind of see what happens. And then the, the feedback that I get is like, that's interesting, right? Like, what can I learn from, from what happened here? And so in this way, like, I just try to reframe like all of these quote unquote losses as just opportunities to learn in the micro and really bank on the fact that like, if I am doing the best that I can on a micro level, 
then the macro just works itself out naturally as a side effect to the micro. Um, and just try to be, yeah, just try to handle playing poker professionally uh, through that lens, if that makes sense. So like to me, losing and winning, um, they are things that happen, but it's also like really we're playing the game for the rest of our lives. The one thing we can control are our decisions and then we let the chips fall where they may. Um, so in that sense, like I try, I'm trying to depersonalize loss, if that makes sense. It makes perfect sense. And actually it brings a point uh, which has been discussed uh, very fr frequently, philosophically, uh, several times. And it's the, an idea which uh, I personally li like to call uh, the locality principle. So there is, uh, w when it comes to viewing our lives, there's, there's two lenses uh, from which we can view our lives. Like, like you said, from really, really, really far away and realize that this is actually a, a very steep going up graph when it comes to poker let's say you're a winning player and you look you zoom out you see basically a you know 45 60 degrees it doesn't really matter i mean it all depends on the axis anyway on the units you're using so 45 60 degrees angle like steep graph going up all the time and uh, then you zoom in and all of a sudden you see like a little dent going down right and i mean that so happens to be the right now for you at that point this is what i would call uh the, the locality principle and and the the issue is, and this is necessary, the, the the issue is that as human beings, we cannot always process the information in its entirety because it would be uh, information overflow, right? We cannot at all times have all of our sessions in our head, right? And this has nothing to do with poker. This is just how we're wired. We cannot, um, for example, a perfect example would be family. Why do we care uh, more about the people that we see or the people that they, they are around us because these are the ones that affect us the most but at the same time this is there's so much uh, brain power and uh, um, energy we can concentrate on on, on on things and other humans otherwise we will have a, an overflow so um this is the same with poker you know when we are in, in a session we concentrate our focus on that specific session so the, the necessity for concentration is one that has to do with our survival, right? Which is the reason why we sort of like single out that one session that we're playing right now and it feels like it's the world to us, right? <laughs> but, yeah. it's, but, but it's also the same reason why it explains, you know, why people, you know, would care. There's a very famous um, picture of that where people, you know, once, um, you know, they see a picture of uh, a young, um, a child in Africa, like, you know, th that uh, child has a name and, you know, they see the name and now they're thinking about that child. They have that image and they're more likely to donate versus, you know, if somebody gives like an abstract idea of a child. And that's because, again, somebody triggers the proximity principle, the, the, the locality principle, the idea that now it becomes part of my very limited uh, neighborhood of thoughts. Right. It's personalized and it's personalized. feels more personal. And there's another, uh, I have another story that's quite different than generously giving to people um, in other countries who are less fortunate. Uh, I was, one of my favorite podcasts is Hardcore History with Dan Carlin. And he was talking about World War II and basically mm -hmm. the proximity principle in this situation as it relates to warfare is that um, the closer you are to someone when you kill them, the more f the more it fucks you up. 
If you shoot somebody from two miles away, it's not as personal as stabbing somebody in the heart right next to them, right? And, and like basically the closer that you get to someone, the more, uh, the bigger toll it takes on you emotionally. And I think that like we can all sort of understand this where you drop a bomb from 200 miles away and it hits the enemy. That's quite different than shooting them at point blank range, right? It's more emotional. It's just more personal and will have a, a much larger effect on you because uh, you're closer in proximity, um, which, you know, tying that into poker, right? Like we're always in the current session that we're playing. And so we're always closest to that. So it makes sense that we're going to feel that one session way more viscerally than we feel all the sessions that we've played over the past month. And to be honest with you, as you said, we're hardwired to feel that way. I don't necessarily think that it's something you can just not do or undo. I think that it's something you just have to experience and go through and then recover and come out the other side. That, that's exactly right. And, 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 and to your point, um, by understanding that this is something that we cannot avoid or escape from, uh, we do understand that it's inevitable. But then here comes exactly what you said, the zooming out, right? So we know that we may have to put some effort into that zooming out. That zooming out is also useful. Right, it's a different type of process, but at least by knowing that, okay, now gut, right gut now, reaction when you have exactly. a, a session that tortures you, right? Th th that's and, right. And somebody no. says, "Zoom, zoom out." What, what do you? What's your response? What's your gut gut instinct reply? No, 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 no. I mean, it's probably f you, right? So that's fuck off. Let me deal with this right now. <laughs> right, but but my but my, my 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 point is, however, that I think the the hardest part for us. You know, to get out of that situation is at least again. I'm, I'm, many of that stuff that I'm saying, I'm speaking about from personal experience and for myself. It may be different. Your your <laughs> mileage may vary, but um, one of the things is that I always felt to myself, you know what? No, you shouldn't be thinking like that, Duncan. Don't be weak, right? What I'm trying to say is that it's okay that we are affected by the proximity principle. So it's okay to say, you know what? Right now I'm angry. I'm, I'm, I'm a slave of the proximity principle at this point, and that's okay. You know, that, that's, that's what human being is. And it's okay when I have to do this. It's going to hurt. It's going to suck. But at, at the very least, we understand, you know, the, the type of, you know, um, situation that we're going through. It's not like we're failing in something. Oh my God, everybody's so Zen. They can actually zoom out whenever they want. And I'm and I'm a, I'm a slave to my own emotions. And I can no, no, no. This is just reality. That's what I'm trying to say. So it's okay to be entrapped temporarily in that proximity principle. We can we can always, you know, when things you know I think it's more than okay. I think it's essential. For... It's essential. It's humanity. It's who we are, right? I mean, we can't be humans without that principle. Like it's, it's, we're so hardwired. There's a reason for that. It, it prevents us from, again, information overflow and having to prioritize in things, the things that matter in our survival. So it, you can do, however, what Brad said when things relax, because then you're out of the session. It's no longer in your proximity range. So now at that point, you can actually go back and then you can say, you can even tell to yourself, you know what, I've been there before. I feel like crap right now, but I remember it has happened to me dozens of times before. I will be able to zoom out after the session is over or in a week from now. It doesn't matter. I know I'm going to get out of this. Yeah. And that alone can be helpful. Yeah. And I think this brings up a, a very important point as it relates to 
the people who are close to us, um, friends, spouses, just whoever, because this, this thing happens, like at least it, it happens in my experience, right? Where something, you know, a session goes poorly, right? And as you said, you know, if somebody says, it's okay, don't worry about it. You know, these things happen. This happened last week. Like you, you'll be fine. Remember, like you were fine before you played, you'll, you'll be fine afterwards, right? And the, the initial like gut reaction is like, F you right leave, Be- leave me alone <laughs> leave me alone right like let me let me process this let, let me right, process exactly. my, my emotions and my loss and That's i think right. the, the ironic part is that these people are trying to be helpful right they're trying to uh be supportive and helpful and they don't want to see you in pain they don't want to see you hurting um but the reality is like you are going to be in pain and the thing that kind of accidentally happens on their end is that they're um you know, they're, they're not uh, validating how you feel in the moment, right? It, you, you feel invalidated, right? Like that you shouldn't be feeling the way that you feel because, Definitely. you know, it happened last week and you will eventually get better, right? And I think that's where like the disconnect is in, in communication between like your friends, your spouse and you in these, in these pretty important moments. And so it, it is very important to communicate, you know, like right now when this podcast is over, like, and you're in a stable frame of mind, like how we process this loss and how you feel in this moment. And it doesn't mean that like, you know, you don't love this person when you're frustrated and you're like, no, no, like get step back here. Like you're, you need validation, right? That it's okay to feel disappointed. It's it's okay to, to be upset with yourself. It's okay um that right now you feel as if you know in effect your world is crumbling um for this period of time so that you can eventually recover um so anyway that that's sort of like a a communication issue that popped in my mind that that i think is quite relevant for poker players and the people that they're around is that like tell them you know just just let them know that that you need validation and that these things are biological um and that eventually you will be okay um, but validation is the thing that like is necessary, like in those moments where, you know, you're heated on the inside, you're quite emotional, you're not thinking rationally or logically. We just want to feel that like this feeling is okay. Exactly. Exactly. It is absolutely okay. And one of the lessons that poker taught me exactly to your point is give people space when people are frustrated. This is something that uh, poker helped me a lot. Uh, realize that sometimes people, because I, I I I like to I'm I'm a problem solver by by nature so I have this this <laughs> you're, you're smiling that can be very annoying you know that's that's one of the things that uh, I became hopefully less annoying because I used to be very annoying like trying to get into the root of the problem and solve it you know I go from from good intentions like I want to solve the problem but one of the things that I realized give people space sometimes people need their space give them space to process and there's always going to be time. To, re- to resolve the issue. Do not get me wrong, right? Uh, something that I also also want to mention, I think um, a, a culturally, we're in a situation where, you know, communication, like you said, communication is a problem. We don't communicate things well. Sometimes we don't communicate things at all. I do believe that when there are issues, no matter how uncomfortable they are, issues need to be discussed eventually. Otherwise, they will just build up and, and, and blow up uh, eventually. That doesn't, to me, in my mind, that doesn't change. However, there are situations where people need to process. And processing, I think, is very important. It needs to be respected. 
And it's basically understanding the proximity principle, understanding what the proximity neighborhood is for the person next to us and just let them be and give them space and time for as long as they need. Yeah. And I want to be explicit in saying that I am the world's worst when it comes to this as well, right? Like as someone who's yeah, like <laughs> gen genuinely cares about my friends, you know, right. my wife, my kids, all these things, you want to help, you feel this need to solve the problem. But I'll quote Nick Howard, and I'm not going to actually retract this quote if I butcher it, Nick. I'm sorry. I'm not as I'm not as good as good-hearted, good-natured as, as Duncan is. But no, about that. Uh, <laughs> basically, Nick tweeted at one point that you can't help somebody until they know that you care, right? And I think that that is very applicable to what we're talking about here. That you know unless that person knows that you genuinely care about what they're going through, you can't help them because right. you haven't validated uh, their emotions and, and what's going on there. No, this is, this is excellent. I, I, I could not agree. I could not agree more. And, and that actually beautifully brings us to, to, to the next point. So how can we handle uh, losing efficiently? You know, whether it's, you know, we're talking at a, uh, horizontal level at a vertical level it, it doesn't matter like how do we handle losing in poker efficiently and uh, what are some perhaps some heuristics uh, some things you have tried yourself uh, some things that other people can try or anything that goes uh, goes to mind yeah I mean so again I'm going to lean on Nick because Nick is mm -hmm. this this is his world and communication is like yeah I I very much respect all, all of his thoughts in this realm um, you know he said at some point that recovery is um, re recovery is the highest level of, of poker performance, right? Like mm -hmm. It's a, it's, mm -hmm. it's a tr transcendent way to train to perform at a high level. So I would start there that we've established that because of the proximity principle and that because we are emotional creatures who have cognition, we are going to respond emotionally. Um, in our losses, uh, when, when they happen, it's hardwired, it's inevitable. So the thing to focus on from that point is recovery, right? And recovery is a return to something. It is a return to a previous state, which in this case, it would be a return to your A game, a return to, you know, just your normal, um, your normal self, right? Uh, so I would focus on recovery and understanding what it is to recover, what you can do to recover more efficiently, sitting with your emotions and the feeling of loss, asking yourself why losing is so meaningful to you, right? Why does it matter if I win or lose? What, what is this tied to, right? Because a lot of times it's anchored into our identity at, at a very young age. Um, and so like basically whatever you can do to try to recover uh, more efficiently from session to session, from hand to hand, from day to day, uh, the, the faster you're able to recover. Um, if, if you could just imagine somebody who's a master at recovery, they take a terrible beat that is almost certainly going to ruin their night and maybe ruin their week or their month. And mm -hmm. they feel all the emotions that need to be felt. They process them and they're able to recover before they get the next hand dealt to them, right? Like that's, that's, that would be the peak of poker performance, right? That is quintessentially, um, 
your A game, just playing on your A game all the time, right? Which is something that, you know, you can strive for. I don't know if it's actually possible, but you know, that, that to me would be how to like systematically go about dealing with loss is trying to improve your ability to recover, um, whatever that means. And I know that through various stages of my career, there have been, you know, some losses that have taken a week to recover from. There have been some, sometimes where you just, nothing goes right and you just have to shut it down and go to sleep and you need a, a full sleep cycle to recover and put in volume. But um, if you can recover quickly and efficiently, you can play more volume, you can put in more hands, uh, you have a higher higher hourly rate, you cut out a lot of you know the, the punting that, that can go on when you're not fully recovered. So anyway, that's sort of my, my take on losing efficiently. Absolutely. And, and recovery is such, such an important uh, concept there. And, and I, would, I would add to this, Brad, that uh, it actually is valuable uh, to stay in the negative territory for prolonged periods of time. I mean, you mentioned, you know, quick recovery is, is a good thing and it has absolutely its benefits, but sometimes staying in the negative territory, right? It I mean, must. we can call it the, 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 the territory of soon to be recovered, you know, territory, yeah, well, right? <laughs> I, I, so the way that I frame this to like John, uh, mm -hmm. because a lot of high performers, right? They, they try to game the system, right? Like, and this is like John's way of, of trying to game the system in, a program that I ran, um, you know, I've ran it multiple times, but this case, it was like a, a year and a half ago or so called the elite program. And so mm -hmm. he classic example, he's playing poker, playing very well, right? It was, mm -hmm. it's like a rare play and explain video where I'm watching it. And I'm like, man, this, he's like on fire today. I, I'm seeing right no, no mistakes. And then all right. of a sudden makes, makes, a encounters a spot that he's unsure about ends up getting stacked and all of a sudden like has, you know, quote unquote brain farts on all of his tables kind of simultaneously. The, the last 30 minutes of the play and explain were a horror show, which um, was great for me because then we had stuff to talk about. <laughs> my, yeah, exactly. my biggest fear is like, holy shit, I'm going to watch this whole thing and there's nothing to talk about. Right. Um, and so like, this is, this was um, in, in John's mind when we're in the elite program, right? Because he wasn't able to recover in that session and that we talked a lot about uh, he, how he wasn't recovering. So he had, he had an idea to game the system of like, well, if that's the case, if I'm going to ruminate on that situation, it's going to cause my play to deteriorate. I'm going to play zoom that way. I'm going to just play so many hands that if I make a mistake, I won't have time to ruminate. I just got to move on to the next hand. Right. And that failed about as spectacularly mm -hmm. as you could imagine. Um, and just because, a small parenthesis here, because remember, problems will always come back and bite you in the ass, right? I mean, it doesn't matter, you know, how deep you're digging them. So the point we we're trying to say earlier is that it's okay to, to suffer. It's okay. I shouldn't say suffer. It's okay to feel hurt suffering. I guess it's a different concept is voluntarily thinking about something when you don't have to. But uh it's okay to feel the pain, but that doesn't mean you shouldn't be addressing the problem. Sorry for well, interrupting. Emotions are meant to be felt. And right. so like the, the saying that I use a ton in the elite program is like the only way out is through, right? You right. can't go around. You have to That's go right. through, which means that you do have to sit with these emotions. You can't bury them. You can't place them to the side to be dealt with at a determined 
time later on, just sit with how you feel. You're an emotional creature. Sit with that emotion um, and, and feel it. And then, you know, you're able to better recover, more quickly recover, and actually deal with what's going on in your central nervous system rather than just ignoring it, which right. is, is a big recipe for disaster. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and just to, to, to finish the point from earlier, because I, some listeners may like, you know, what was, where was that thread going? Uh, the, when you stay in the, I guess we can call it the injured state, right? So you have the, your normal state, you get injured and then you recover, but between, you know, the time you get injured and you recover, and, and I'm using injured metaphorically, of course, and the time you recover, we can call it the injured state, staying inside the injured state. I can think of like four people at least uh, we either have mentioned or they're constantly in my mind. You can think of, of Nietzsche. You can think of Edison. You can think of the anti-fragility of, of, of uh, Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And of course, the one and the only David Goggins, right? The idea of basically being hurt um, on, um, you know, you, you, can, you can get hurt, but not really hurt if you don't allow other people to hurt you, essentially, right? The idea that you can get inside those zones and train yourself, learn something out of it. You know, like mistakes, uh, again, the, the Edison principle, right? I mean, so we can learn so much, mistakes are a gift. We can learn so much from our mistakes. It's actually surprising why people don't wish for mistakes more frequently, right? I mean, and replace like, mistakes with loss and, it, and uh, it stays the same. Exactly correct. And then we have, of course, the uh, that idea that, that Nietzsche has, has talked a lot uh, about the idea that you know, like, don't don't be don't be afraid to uh, to, to to which it ties very much to the uh, Taleb's anti fragility. None of these ideas are new. I mean, they're all tied. To, they're all standing in the shoulders of other giants. <laughs> but all of these ideas that you know, like he's he's superhuman or uh, Ubermensch, if we want to you know use the, the French term because people hate the, the the superhuman. But it's all words, people. <laughs> Let's let's not maybe hang on to those things. But anyway, who's so, sending you messages and emails about Superman, Duncan? Who, who <laughs> hurt you? You have some recovery to do, uh, I think, in that area. <laughs> That's exactly correct. I have a lot of trust me. I have to do a lot of recovery in a lot of areas, Brad. <laughs> don't don't get me started on that. So, um, but but the concept of actually staying within that injured space and uh, you know uh, getting better as as a result of it, right? I mean, becoming becoming stronger. You know, I mean, of course, uh, like uh, Kelly Clarkson would say, right? What doesn't kill you makes <laughs> you. Wow. I had to say that. I, I had to say that. I mean, it's, it's we we have yeah, to. So it's we in your to. contract. You're con contractually it's, obligated to mention Kelly Clarkson one I, I out of every to. ten shows. Uh, absolutely, absolutely. So, um, no, I mean, in, in all seriousness, though, it is, it it is true, right? I, I, I mean. And this is probably like one of the of, of the most cliches, but that's the idea of antifragility, right? The idea that we need stressors, and those stressors will actually get us out of our comfort zone. And by being out of our comfort zone, first of all, we're going to feel discomfort. That's the definition of being out of our comfort zone. However, we're also training our bodies, our um, our minds, and everything in between to feel uh, to be, to be stronger and be able to deal with those uh, new uncomfortable yeah. situations. And for the listener that may not be familiar with uh, anti-fragile as a term or concept, basically. Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Duncan, but 
uh, fragility is something that's in a state that when it is changed, it is bad for the thing. So imagine a coffee cup in its state, right? You drop a coffee cup on the ground, it shatters into a million pieces. It's worse off um, than it was before it got dropped. And anti-fragile is something that um, you drop, but instead of it going to pieces, it actually makes it stronger. Um, so it is in the chaos, um, it, it grows in strength rather than, um, you know, shatters into a million pieces. Exactly right. Which is, by the way, very difficult to imagine because if you look at material objects around you, um, most material objects are either fragile. So in other words, if you put a little bit of uh, volatility, they will actually uh, destroy themselves or they're robust, which means if you actually throw like a rock, nothing is going to happen to it. Right. So, but uh, anti-fragility is not robustness. This is the important point that the lab is making very clearly in his book. Right. So uh, anti-fragility is the opposite of fragility. In other words, you get stronger. Imagine a cup that becomes a super cup after you actually throw it into the floor. Right. So we cannot think about material objects because they're not many good examples. Instead, well, humans are, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to use a superhero example, right? Like a superhero example that can steal the powers of other superheroes when they use those powers on him, right? It's like, that's right. You just absorb, you absorb the ray and now you're stronger because you were exposed to the ray, right? Right. I don't even I don't even remember the name of there was a a TV show called Heroes a bunch of years ago. I don't remember the name. Siler. Oh, Siler. Siler. Yes. Yeah, yes. That's... Okay. Very good. Now, 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 my brain can rest. Siler. I was about <laughs> to say Cylon, but that's a different one. That's a. <laughs> but it's like galactic. All right. Too many shows. All right. Excellent. No, that that's exactly right. Uh, so. That is a that 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 is exactly a practical correct. example, better than you know a superhero example of anti fragility in in the real world. Oh, I, I, I working out at the gym, uh, micro tearing. You know, you go at the gym. You know, you're working out your muscles. Essentially, what you do temporarily, and that's why you feel sore afterwards. You're damaging your muscles, so you you're doing something, quote unquote, bad. And I shouldn't say bad, but the, the correct. Term would be volatility, right? You're adding stressors. Mm -hmm. You're adding stressors to your muscles. And that's why, by the way, if you hear people talking about stress, uh, the first thing we will tell you is that not all stress is bad. And that's because we are meant to sort of like not only handle stressors, but actually get better uh, out of stressors. But there is a difference between, let's say, you know, trying to lift, I don't know, like a 20, 30, 40 pounds and going and trying to lift, you know, like 3 million pounds, right? I mean, 3 million pounds will crush you, but you know, thirty or forty yeah, pounds crush will crush you. <laughs> <laughs> Yourself, Duncan. I <laughs> see what you did there. <laughs> this is, uh, I love this podcast, man. <laughs> um, no, this this is great stuff, and yeah, like, what's the final point here? Because I think we've sure. we've covered a lot of ground, and yeah, this is like feels like it would be a decent uh, stopping stopping point. Sure. Since, again, I mean, we, we're talking about antifragility here. And I guess one quick follow-up on that would be, um, is it possible for losing to wear us down? And uh, how do we prevent that from happening, perhaps? Or what are some thoughts that we should have about, essentially, uh, a wear and tear, right? Because, again, we talked about the difference between lifting 30 pounds and lifting 3,000 pounds, right? So how do we make sure that uh, we lose, but at the same time, we don't destroy ourselves. Yeah. Um, I have no idea because uh, I don't know the threshold Good. for personal destruction. Uh, it's not, I don't think that's a question that I could, I could answer. I, I would say that 
you burn a lot of energy by ruminating, by stewing, by not dealing with your emotions so that, you know, effectively, if you're, if you're not dealing with emotions, right, then they're just going to keep manifesting. Mm-hmm. And so you're just constantly dealing with them again and again and again and again and again. Um, and, and I think that that's an easy path to burnout. I think that's an easy path to breaking down. Um, so for me, it's like, you know, deal with what's going on in your central nervous system and, and honor that and respect that. Um, give it the space that it needs uh, and don't just try to bury it because I think like burying your emotions in that way is what ultimately leads to uh, collapse. Absolutely. And so I think that's a very important takeaway. Do not bury it, deal with it. But at the same time, again, one can respect the proximity principle. Deal it means deal with it eventually and incrementally, right? That would be another thing, we, another heuristic. So how do we know what uh, our boundaries are without testing them, right? But again, you know, uh, you don't go to 3,000 from 30. From 30, you go to 31, and then sure. to 32, to 40. So one potential heuristic way to see how much of that is actually good stressors versus bad stressors would be to incrementally test them, right? And that's different from, from person to person. So one example would be, you know, how comfortable or uncomfortable and for how long you feel with certain amount of losses. And that way somebody can actually adjust their stop losses, right? I mean, it's different from person to person, right? That would be an example. You know, one can adjust their stop losses to the point where they're thinking that, you know, oh, you know what, that if I put my stop losses right there, it's a little bit higher than I did before, right? So that's going to make me uncomfortable. But at the same time, you know, I'm going to train myself a little bit. How am I going to feel? But what would be potentially a, a dangerous territory would be, oh, you know, I had my stop losses at X and all of a sudden, you know, the next day I just want to try a 10X, you know, like, you know, just some crazy multiplier. So yeah. incremental change is exactly the same way. Think of gym, right? You know, hopefully you don't go to the gym and one day, you know, you're trying like the, the five pounders and then the next day you go to 50 pounders. That would probably be not, you know, the, the wisest of choices, even if you're very strong. Yeah. Like it, uh, Brad. <laughs> um, <laughs> another thing here that could probably be a whole podcast episode in and of itself is try to avoid comparison with other players, with other people. Um, You are you, and the only thing to compare yourself against is you. Um, So, yeah, just try to compare how you dealt with a devastating loss last week with how you dealt with a devastating loss this week and take measures to improve your ability to deal with um, this sort of emotional pain. Uh, Yeah, just... Think about yourself only. Don't compare yourself to other people. Just because somebody else has like a giant tolerance and threshold doesn't mean that you necessarily have one, doesn't mean that it's an aid. I think these things, you know, there is some uh, genetics and biology as it relates right. to like uh, risk taking, risk aversion, and risk inclination. Um, and then also pain tolerance um, in the same way that like, you know, there's genetics involved in how much you can bench press, right? Some people Absolutely. have a much higher ceiling than other people. And that's just like kind of dims the brakes. <laughs> uh, absolutely. No, 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 absolutely. And, and, and what you're saying, uh, what you're saying, Brad, about, you know, comparing yourself to, uh, to who you were yesterday, essentially, or who, who you are or comparing yourself to yourself versus other people is spot on. The one thing that I want to say is that proximity principle again is real. So 
someone may think, well, that's easier said than done. And actually, I would agree with that, right? You know, because uh, just a, a, a very quick, a quick aside, which I think people will find that very entertaining. There's a very interesting uh, speech that uh, Malcolm Gladwell gave at, uh, um, I believe it was at Google at some point. And uh, that speech was basically, uh, he did um, uh, he did some research and he tried to find out, uh, he was trying to basically answer a question that, I'm going to paraphrase a little bit, but the basic idea was the following. Who's going to be more successful? Somebody who is like, let's say, at the bottom of their class on really, 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 really high institution or somebody who's like, let's say, at the top of the class on a very, 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 very mediocre institution. And as you can imagine, if somebody follows the uh, proximity principle, the person, who, it doesn't matter what kind of institution you're coming from. What matters really is how you compare to your peers, because that sort of like builds confidence. And actually, people who were doing the best in very mediocre, whatever that word may mean, because again, any institution is an institution. If you study, it doesn't really matter, but that's another story. Like those people did um, incredibly, incredibly well. And there was famously, you know, some, some Harvard graduates that basically sort of like had struggled, struggled with their lives just because they were not in the top of their class. So I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that the proximity principle is very real, right? So... Uh, one thing that I would add to that, um, you know, thing of, you know, try to compare yourself uh, to yourself is try to manufacture that proximity principle to work in your favor, right? So in other words, you know, like if you, and again, I, I, I'm not going to pretend that I have like the, the magic recipe that is working for everybody, but an example of that would be if you, if you, for example, you're into spreadsheets and if you're trying, for example, to, um to, to measure your own performance, that would be an example of a manufactured proximity principle because now it's you and your spreadsheet. So the only one you're comparing yourself to is yourself, your, your same self, but with yesterday, right? So by creating environments where you are basically uh, different versions of yourself, now the proximity principle only sees yourself versus other people. I, I hope I articulate that somewhat clearly, and I know that I, I did it a little bit too quickly, but the point is try to make the proximity principle work in your favor. Like, Don't try to make assessments while you're sitting at the poker table when there's other people, other professionals and stuff like that, for example. Yeah. Be, be still my, my beating heart. You, you cut right to my soul there on spreadsheeting. Um, you, ha you have no earthly idea <laughs> how near and dear spreadsheeting is to my heart. Right. Um, I, I can't express it. Uh, people may think I'm joking, but you know, uh, no. John, both John and Chu and, and you as well probably know just know. how near and dear spreadsheeting is to my heart. Um, that, that, that's, that's just on, on my desktop right now. I think I have, I believe. 12, I see 12 Excel spreadsheets, right? Just, just on my desktop, like not, not on any folder. So. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, well, man, yeah, it's been a great episode of Philosophical Friday on loss. I think we've actually sort of dredged up other topics for future episodes, including, you know, comparison and things like that. So as always, if you have any questions stemming from this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness, hit Greatness Village at greatnessvillage.com. Join the Philosophical Friday discussion channel. Ask your questions. Me and Duncan will respond um, whenever we can, but we typically respond to most everything that's said in said channel. Um, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you next week. Absolutely, Brad. It's been a pleasure. Take care, man. Thanks for listening to Chasing Poker Greatness. 
You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or on your favorite podcast app. Go to ChasingPokerGreatness.com to get the newsletter. Join the Greatness Village community, book a coaching session, or dive into the latest data-driven poker courses. Follow the show on Twitter at CPG Podcast.